but I'm also full of joy to be back here again in the pulpit at Martinsdale, even if I got ripped by the pastor. <laughs> I'm still glad to be here. Can you believe it was seven years ago last Sunday that I retired? It doesn't seem possible. And uh, I thank the Lord for these past seven years and the opportunities that he's provided for ministry. But it's, uh, again, a unique joy to be here. I've really been appreciating Pastor Jeremy's series through the epistle of Paul to Timothy, the first one. It was about three years ago, as he suggested, that I really became tremendously impacted by the paragraph to which uh, we come this morning in Jeremy's series, the second to the last paragraph uh, in the book. And I trust that uh, you will see why as we go through this passage today and just leave ourselves open to the Lord to uh, teach us, to challenge us, to grow us. You know, Paul really loved Timothy. He had led him to faith in Christ, most likely. Timothy had, I mean, most likely that Paul had done it. And uh, that Timothy had grown a lot, was being used of God in a powerful way by, uh, in a variety of ways, wherever he went. And Paul just really wanted Timothy to be faithful and effective to the very end of the journey. Throughout this first letter, Paul warns Timothy repeatedly about a variety of dangers out there, including especially that of false teachers, that of the love of money. For example, in verse 10 that Jeremy looked with us at with us last Sunday, Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. After saying that, it has almost seemed to me like Paul grabs Timothy by the shoulders and says, Timothy, listen to me. I really want to talk to you intensely. I want you to really understand what I'm saying. And he begins to lay out to Timothy four very pointed statements, appeals to Timothy's heart and to yours and to mine. He says, but you, in contrast to these, but you, O man of God, this is what I want for you. This is what I yearn for. In calling Timothy a man of God, uh, Paul is using a phrase that has its roots in the Old Testament and was used there uh, typically of those who were, uh, only of those who were spokesmen for God, conveyors of his truth to his people. But I sense that here Paul is using it in a broader sense. Timothy was certainly that, a spokesman for God in the churches. But the term is used over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 in a more general sense. So I take it he's talking 
through Timothy to all of us. O oh, you people of God, you who belong to him, you who are his children by faith in Jesus Christ, I have some very important things I want you to catch, Paul is saying, and listen to very carefully. These four appeals that Paul is going to make uh, really, to me, summarize the whole of the Christian life. It's like everything Paul has said, he brings down and summarizes in these four parts. I was just thinking yesterday, they like four wheels on a car. All four need to be there. All need to be inflated completely if the vehicle is going to make progress in the purpose that God has for us, that is, our lives. But you, O man of God, the first thing I want to say to you is to flee from all of this. All of this refers back to the matters of false teaching, the matter of love of money, but there are many things in the New Testament that would be included as well. Immorality, sensuality, pride, all kinds of evil that are set forth in the word in which God comes to us as he does here through Paul to Timothy and say, flee from these things. Don't mess around, Timothy. Don't play games with them. Uh, run. Run for your life from these things. And it's present tense verb. Keep on doing it. Never stop. There are those things out there that God has told us are sin, are evil, are destructive, and they really are. And so, Timothy, all your life, keep running from those things that God says are destructive, those things that are, are sin, those things are going to hurt. You know, it's obvious that with the word flee, Paul is talking here about that which is really dangerous, that which is going to mess up a life, that which is going to just ruin everything. And he says, see it for the danger that it is. Believe God for it. And you turn around and run and keep on running and never stop. Very interesting that Paul says this to Timothy. And the present tense there, keep on doing this. There never will be a time in which you can sit back and relax. The evil one is out there. He has all kinds of strategies that he's working to bring about ruin in our lives. And so Paul is saying, run, Timothy, and never stop. Just because you're a pastor, Timothy, don't think you can come to the point that I've arrived, everything is fine, I've got it all in order, I can rest. Keep running. Keep running. Flee these things. This brings Paul to a second appeal. He says, don't run just helter-skelter. Just don't take off in any direction. But as you flee that which is evil, be pursuing righteousness, 
godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. Pursue. Intensely go after these values, these characteristics that God so much wants to see in your life. These are stated and restated throughout Scripture in so many different kinds of ways. Righteousness would be right conduct before the Lord. Godliness would have to do with an attitude of heart that reverences Him, that wants so much to be like Him in everything within us. Faith would be that quality that lives life trusting God, depending upon Him in everything. Be pursuing love, that quality that gives to the welfare of others unconditionally, sacrificially. Doesn't come naturally, but is supremely important in God's heart for you and for me. Pursue it, he is saying. He goes on. Uh, pursue steadfastness, that quality of endurance when things are difficult. Keep on going. Don't stop. And then gentleness, having to do with kindness, patience, being good to those around us. Timothy, have in your mind constantly the priorities that God has for your life. It's not money. It's not accumulation of things. It's not this or that that the world takes with such great importance. But have as your goal, be conscious of it, intentional about it, that I want to become more and more righteous, more and more godly, more and more a man of faith, a man of love, a man of steadfastness, a man of gentleness. Think about these things. Review them in your mind. Pursue after them constantly. The present tense verb here, again, has a strong implication. Timothy, you never will arrive. You need to keep on pursuing. Thank God with all, for, with all your heart for what he's done in, inside of you in regard to each of these. But never forget, there's more ground to gain. You want to keep on going after these intentionally every day of your life to become more and more what the Lord wants you to be in each of these respects. Thirdly, Timothy, fight and keep on fighting the good fight of the faith. I take it that when he talks about the faith here, he's talking about the whole truth that we have in God's word, which is epitomized in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious truth that Jesus came as the Son of God down to this earth, went to the cross and died for us to pay for our sin and rose again so that through faith in him, 
we might have the gift of eternal life. In saying to fight for this faith, Paul is implying, obviously, that there's an enemy out there, an enemy who's going to be constantly working to distort the faith, its content, and an enemy who's constantly going to be working to blind the hearts and minds of people around us to that faith. Timothy, believers at Martinsdale, he's saying, I want you to have a purpose of heart to keep on fighting the good fight. That word fight is a Greek word, agonizomai, which has to do with, you can hear it in English, agonize. Uh, give yourself diligently to this. Make it a passion of your heart, willing to sacrifice, willing to go to great extent in order that by God's grace through us that the faith might be maintained purely before people, that we, may not, we will not deviate in any regard from that which God has said in his word, and that we'll be very eager, committed to getting the truth of the faith out into the hearts and lives of people in our community and people to the ends of the earth. That we realize we're here for a purpose. That is to take the glorious faith and not just enjoy it in a corner by ourselves, but to get that faith out into the hearts of others. Satan is going to be working against that. He's going to want to discourage us, divert us, Paul is saying, Timothy, keep on fighting. Never stop with the goal in mind that this truth that God has so gloriously given us through Jesus Christ might be maintained clearly among us and then be taken out through us to the ends of the earth. That's going to take concentration. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take effort. But Timothy, keep doing it and never stop. <clears throat> and then he says, in the fourth place, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Jesus defined eternal life in his great prayer in John 17 3 when he says that this is life eternal that they may know you the only true God and your son Jesus Christ eternal life in other words is a quality of life that consists of knowing God and Jesus Christ in a relationship that we can know and experience right now and will be brought to his glorious climax one day in glory in his presence. Timothy had that eternal life. There's no question about that. He possessed it. What Paul is saying here, Timothy, take hold of it. Uh, use it. Experience it. Don't just have it sitting there on a shelf like a vase and looking at it, but experience that life. 
take hold of it day in and day out. You have the privilege of knowing God, of knowing Jesus Christ, of talking to them, of enjoying them, of having their peace, of having their power working in your life. Timothy, take hold of that life. Don't just say, I have it, but experience it. You know, the question I think that logically comes to our mind here is a question of, I hear all this, but how do I do it? That is, how do I keep on fleeing? How do I keep on pursuing? How do I keep on fighting? How do I keep taking hold of the eternal life to which I was called? Well, obviously, prayer is an important element in it. The interrelationships we have with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ is an important element of it. I would like to suggest that we must keep very much at the forefront of our thinking that it's our interaction with God's word that is going to be absolutely key to each of these. What did Paul say as we think about the matter of fleeing? In Psalm 119, I think verse 10, 11 in there. Thy word have I hid in my heart, David said. Why? That I might not sin against you. Thy word have I hid in my heart. The end, that I might not sin. That I might consistently flee that which is evil. It's going to be the result of constantly soaking my heart in the truth of your word really coming to know that word so that I can consistently avoid that which is going to destroy. In the matter of pursuing, just turn over to 2 Timothy, a couple pages, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do I pursue after these qualities that God prizes so much in my life? I do it by the intake of the truth of God's word, that which has been inspired by him, and really learning that. In the matter of fighting, the good fight. Paul talks in Ephesians 6 about the armor that a Christian needs, and he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It's that Word working in my own heart and mind that's going to equip me to be faithful in fighting the good fight that God has left us here to fight. Take hold of eternal life. In Psalm 119, establish thy word, David says to thy servant, as that which produces reverence for thee. It's going to be just being in the word, looking up at God and seeing him in the wonder of his glory. That's going to bring about the joy of that relationship with him that constitutes 
eternal life. By the way, here, Paul says to Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. That is, God in his sovereign grace opened your eyes and drew you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That is, he's looking, I think, at the time that he was baptized and he made a public profession of his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some think it could look at his ordination time. Regardless, Timothy had made a clear profession of faith in Christ as his Savior, that he had the gift of eternal life. And so Paul is saying, take hold of that gift and use it to the full. Now, you know you'd think that we'd listen, that Timothy would to what Paul has said and say, yes, I agree with that. I want to flee constantly these things around me in the world that are contrary to your heart, God. I want to be a man who keeps on pursuing after the qualities that you have laid out in your word. I want to keep on fighting the good fight. I want to be a man who uh, takes hold constantly of the eternal life to which you have called me. Fine, I'll go do it. But you know, Paul knows himself. He knows us. And that we are going to be weak. We're going to be diverted very easily. We're going to hear it and then pretty easily forget it as we go about doing this and that in our lives. So Paul, before he closes, he's still holding Timothy by the shoulders, speaking very strongly. He says three powerful things to Timothy as a sequel to really drive home what he's just talked about. First of all, in verse 13, he underscores the importance, the seriousness of what he has said. He puts it this way. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in, the, in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep this translation has the, others use the word this. I prefer this commandment. In other words, what Paul is doing is looking back at what he's just said, this fourfold commandment that he's made to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, Timothy, this is extremely serious. Every part of this, I make this charge to you First of all, he says, in the presence of God, who gives life to all things. The God who made us, who brought us into being, who sustains us. The God who's provided for us, who have believed in Christ, life eternal. I'm making this charge to you in his presence. He is watching. This is not given to drive fear into Timothy's heart, but to motivate that if God is there, the one who's given me life, who placed me here, is the one who's watching, I want to be faithful to what he has said. And then he goes on to say, I make this charge 
in the presence of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. When challenged, who are you? Are you the king? Are you the Messiah? Jesus Christ, without hesitation, even though he was standing, as it were, at the foot of the cross and knew what would happen, clearly, without hesitation, responded, I am. No matter what the challenge, no matter what the fear, no matter what the pressure might happen to be, he was faithful. Timothy, I'm making this charge to you in his presence. Because he was faithful, you have eternal life. He's watching. It's in his presence we live our lives. And I want to appeal to you to take this very seriously. Paul goes on to emphasize the intensity with which we need to take this command. To keep this commandment unstained and free from reproach. It's so easy for us to think, well, I'm basically doing okay. Uh, in general, everything is good. Paul is saying, that's not what God wants. He wants to have a heart that I come to this with great seriousness in every detail of my life. Obviously, he's not saying that we're going to be perfect or ought to be perfect while we're in this life. We won't be until we're with the Lord. But our passion ought to be in every detail that I'm increasingly becoming what God wants me to be. So that in every aspect, all four of the parts of this commandment, that I will be unstained and free from reproach in the eyes of the Lord. That I will not bring shame, I will not bring blame upon his name, but I will be increasingly what he wants me to be. Paul emphasizes furthermore the persistence with which we need to keep these, this four-part commandment. He says, to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul lived every day of his life once he became a believer in the Lord Jesus with the expectancy, the awareness that Jesus Christ was coming back that it could be today. And he is saying here to Timothy and to us to be very diligent about keeping this commandment. Never pause, never rest in a wrong kind of way, but keep on pursuing until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. True, Paul went to be with the Lord before Jesus Christ returned. But he's saying to live with that anticipation, that expectancy all the time. That this is what God wants for me, and I want to keep doing this. 
either until I go to be with him or he comes back, but to be living constantly with the awareness that he is going to return. It could well be during 2013. It could, be well, could well be during the month of January 2013. And I want to live with that consciousness, taking his commandment for me that seriously that I will be found faithful. Now, it's very possible that after 2,000 years have gone by, that Christians begin, and we've all struggled with it, of coming to a point of just almost putting this on the shelf. Uh, it's not a living reality as it ought to be that Jesus Christ really is going to come back. Uh, I just remind you that God made promise repeatedly in regard to his first coming, and he came precisely as God said that he would. God has made promise in regard to his second coming, and he is going to return precisely as God has promised. So important is this, that Paul goes on in one of the greatest anthems of praise of God that we have in the Bible, which again underscores how important this is what he's talking about. He says there in verse 14, unto the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, and then verse 15, which he, I think clearly he's talking about God the Father, he will display at the proper time. That is, Jesus Christ is going to return and he is going to appear in all the wonder of his glory. And that is going to happen at the proper time, at the time that God has determined. He knows precisely when that day is. And it's going to happen. And just to reinforce that in our mind, to give us confidence about that, <clears throat> look what he goes on to say. He talks about God, which he will display at the proper time. He who is the blessed and only sovereign. In speaking of God as blessed, this word is often used in a way that can be translated, oh, how happy. And I, I think this is exactly what he's saying here about God. He is totally content. He is totally at peace. He is totally secure in all that he is. He is not frustrated. He's not worried. He's not all upset about the way things are going in the world. In fact, as he says next, he's the only, uh, I'm, I missed the phrase. He's the only sovereign. He is the one who is in total control of all things, of all history, of everything in our lives, of all events that have taken place and will take place. He's in absolute, total control. And he's the only one who is, as he says it here. He is the one who is the blessed, sovereign, and the only one. Furthermore, he is the king of kings and lord of lords. There are other kings and other lords that have temporary power on the earth. 
but he is king of kings and lord of lords over all of them no matter who they are no how no matter how much authority and control they feel they have god is over all of them and the point is therefore he can bring about at exactly the proper time the return of the lord jesus and he will he goes on further who alone has immortality. He is deathless. He's not subject to death. He's not subject to decay. He's not subject to change, as the Bible tells us elsewhere. But here the focus is on his deathlessness. He's immortal. We don't have to worry that something's going to happen to him and he won't bring about the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is totally immortal. And he dwells in unapproachable light, absolutely pure, without evil, without sin of any kind. One whom no one has ever seen or can see in our sinfulness, though we'll be in his presence one day in glory. But because of who he is, as this incredible God Paul is saying you can bank on it Jesus Christ is going to come back at exactly the right time and therefore how intensely committed we ought to be to being people who all the time are fleeing evil of every kind or who are pursuing after those qualities of character that God so much wants to see in our lives who are fighting constantly the good fight of getting the gospel out, even in that dimension, to lost people around us and who are taking hold of the eternal life to which we are called. To him, to this God, be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. O Timothy, Joel, believers at Martinsdale Community Church, he's saying, listen to me. You've got a limited amount of time here. Be constantly fleeing evil. Constantly fleeing it. Be in the word so you can grow in your strength to say no and to run for your life. Be constantly pursuing very diligently and purposefully the qualities of character that God so much wants to see in you. Be committed to taking the gospel, seeing to it that it goes out by our language, by our lifestyle, by our words, by our tracks that we share, by the money that we give, on and on and on. gospel will go forth to the ends of the earth and be constantly taking hold of the eternal life to which you were called by God's grace and to which you have given confession you know this passage is clearly addressed to those who belong to God 
who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. By nature, we don't belong to God. We're separated from Him because of our sin. That's why Jesus Christ came to go to the cross and take the punishment that we deserve to pay for our sin, take it in our place, and he paid it in full. As God demonstrated by raising him from the dead on the third day. And can therefore, as a result, offer to every one of us as a totally free gift the forgiveness of our sin and the certainty of a home in heaven, a relationship with God that we can know and experience right now and will reach its grand culmination one day in glory. If you have not yet come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have not yet made that decision to put your faith simply in Him to be your Savior, I so much want to encourage you to make that decision even today. That through faith in Jesus Christ, you might be brought into a relationship with God. And in that relationship with God, pursue the life that he has set forth for us in the pages of his word. If you are a believer today, don't take Paul's hands off your shoulders. He's going to be talking, I trust, all day, all week. Come back to this passage over and over again. I do constantly. Joel, keep fleeing. Joel, keep pursuing. Joel, keep fighting the good fight. Joel, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And he wants that for you too. Let's have the team come up and lead us in this final song.